welcome to the Early Years Conversations podcast with me, Kate Moxley, and my co-host, Kerry Payne. We are super excited to not only have a jingle to start off our podcast today, but also to be welcoming Hannah Little to our podcast. Hannah Little is a um, senior manager um, for CC Nurseries. Um, you may already follow her perhaps on Instagram as, Reg- is it Regio Inspired Play? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've managed to remember that. So <laughs> Hannah's got over 15 years experience working with um, um, within um, early years and has a really interesting uh, job role helping um, set up and start early years provisions um, a- across the country. And so we thought it'd be really interesting to just have a little bit of a natter with Hannah today. Um, she is the mental health and wellbeing lead in her role as a senior manager within her nurseries. She's a mental health first aid England um, first aider. Um, I'm getting Uh, carried away with all my mental health words here making sure I'm saying them all correctly Um, and so welcome Hannah Um, if you've listened to the podcast you will know that uh, we don't normally have a jingle which is why we're so excited but not only that we always start with the all-important question how are you feeling so welcome it's great to have you here and how are you feeling Hannah Hi guys. I mean, I'm honoured that uh, you've chosen me to use the jingle on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm feeling all right, you know. I think, um, yes, yeah, there's definitely a lot of stress and things out there in the world at the moment, but I, f- I feel good. I'm feeling relaxed on a Monday morning. That's wonderful. And, and I think that's important to be honest, isn't, isn't it? And I think that's one of the reasons why I thought it'd be good to chat with you, because um, I, I was we were talking before we started um, and I was kind of explaining to Kerry that, um, and obviously people will know in the early years world that, you know, quite often we've got connections and friendships with people, but actually we may have never met each other. So for example, Kerry and I have never met, (laughs) but I actually have met you briefly at the Jigsaw Power of Play conference in Manchester. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously, as I've already mentioned, follow you on Instagram. So, and from some of the conversations we have, um, you know, private messaging, I know you're quite self-aware in terms of how you take care of yourself the boundaries that you put in place and I think that the world that we find ourselves in at the moment is that you know the day job hasn't stopped just because we're in a pandemic so yes we were furloughed yes maybe nurseries were closed but we are back into the full-on swing of the autumn term some people describing this autumn term as though it feels like Christmas um, already, that real run-up, that close bit to Christmas when it can feel, feel quite frantic after settling in lots of new children and families. Um, and so, yeah, the day job doesn't, doesn't stop because of what is going on. So not only are we juggling all of those usual roles, responsibilities um, and commitments, we're now trying to juggle with this. So you know, how are you feeling? How are you finding it in terms of, you know, the challenges that you're facing at the moment? Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a lot. Um, not just for myself, I think it's more for the teams that I work with as well. Um, so normally I work a lot with our managers um, anyway, like in a typical day-to-day, you know, working week. I think what I've noticed more is actually practitioners reaching out. Um, I, I definitely, I mean, I, I did my mental health first day training in February and myself and uh, one of the directors of the company had this whole rolling plan for how we were going to you know have a have a plan in place to roll out mental awareness and well-being as a company and then obviously uh, coronavirus happened and we closed our nurseries in March um and there is I do have a post up in every nursery explaining my role and who I am 
And I've definitely noticed since we reopened in June um, how much practitioners are actually reaching out to have a conversation with me um, and what we're doing as a company to support them in feeling less anxious. Um, but not only that, I think it's also parents as well. The conversations that we have with parents are very different at the moment. Um, and they, they have anxieties that, you know, they're, they're sort of putting off onto the managers and then the managers are getting that and um, then they're trying to navigate that as well. It, there's a lot of things going on. Absolutely. And I think that parent partnership is, as obviously, is always really, really important. But I think from what I'm seeing, and obviously I'm not working in a setting at the moment, I'm not working frontline, but from what I'm seeing, those settings that already had really um, strong relationships, already had really secure systems in place to, to I suppose, nurture those uh, parent partnerships, those relationships. That trust was already in place. So things that has made things slightly easier and maybe for, for some settings who have found that they've got struggles or challenges that has then added even more pressure because there's a lack of trust there. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, we've had sites that um, we reopened and that was definitely a very different experience to our brand new site that was delayed. So we were supposed to open a nursery in uh, May. It was delayed until August. And trying to build those foundations where you can't have parents come into the building or having to do handover at the end of the day very quickly. And we, we're really lucky to have an online app anyway. But trying to, to build up those relationships is really difficult when they've never, they don't know the teaching team, they can't come in. Um, and I think parents that already, you know, you've got your first time mums and dads that already have anxiety. And then you're throwing this into the mix where we're having to do settle visits where they've got like masks on or they can only stay in the room for a short amount of time and you know it's challenging and it's working it's trying to adapt and work away around those and still provide the same service that's what I think has been the learning curve for us. That, that sounds really challenging and I suppose also the pressure on the practitioners in the rooms and, and especially if you work in the nursery and you are a parent yourself and you are um, I'd seen a post on Facebook over the weekend and it was a school, I think, that I don't know if either of you have seen it. It's a school that posted photographs of all of their team and that basically said that if a usual member of staff isn't going to be there um, when they collect, it's because they're, they're, that they have given them time to go and collect their own children from school or nursery. Um, and just that reminder that you know, actually, if you're a parent yourself and you're trying to settle your child back into school or whatever, I think this goes back to everybody's circumstances are so different at the moment. So everyone's experiencing something challenging and, and completely unique. So, you know, how do you get over those those hurdles of, uh, of, you know, supporting one another, I suppose, when everyone is experiencing something different? Mm. I think it's going back when when you think of how things were in February and everyone um, was, you know, being kind and with Caroline Flack and everything. And I think that opened up um, a lot of um, room for conversation. And I think it's just taken a step back as well. You know, I, I always try and um, say to all my teams, you don't know what someone else is going through. So, you know, you, you kind of have to, it goes back to like those core values of um, listening, um, you know, People are flying off the handle. They're, they're dealing with different stresses. We've had parents losing their jobs and income. And, you know, it, it's just about taking that time to actually set aside. And, yeah, we have to have adapt. And we're doing lots of Zoom meetings with parents now. And um, But it, 
it, like I said, it's just working out those ways to, to still provide the same level of service, but doing it in a different way and taking time to speak to each other. Yeah. I think it's that empathy that you describe. I think that's something lots of people have developed during this time because we've spoken about it on previous podcasts, you know, we've all got stuff going on. So I think it has developed more empathy in us. What do you think, Kerry? Yeah, I was going to say from, from listening um, to what you two have just been discussing, it almost seems like this continuous like emotional whiplash, whiplash doesn't it? Like you're continually feeling almost the intensity of experiences and emotions from different directions. And so, and like what you've just said there, Kate, around everyone's got their own different experience, but yet we're all collectively united by, by a pandemic and by trying to adapt to change. And I think the empathy, I think what's really interesting around the empathy discussions is that our empathy has increased as a result of our tolerance of um, hard emotional experiences increasing. So we're all kind of flying off the handle. We all have a, I certainly have been much angrier and much kind of just a very short fuse. And so it's almost like when practitioners are in the setting, they're, they're, they're feeling so many emotions themselves that they're then able to kind of go, actually, if I feel like this, how must somebody else feel or what are they? So you're all, it, it's kind of that combination of we're collectively united by a pandemic, each with different experiences, but then also there's a bit of a domino impact, isn't there, of like mm. what you've just said there, Kate, around... Um, around a nursery or a school thinking well actually our teachers need to go and pick up their children as well like it's it's happening to everybody and yeah it just feels a, a big bowl of trauma soup <laughs> like I'm trying to think of the the optimism within it but I suppose shared adversity the only way is when you're hitting rock bottom with these things the only way really is up um and I think from what you've described Hannah like just from listening to you up to now is there is something in maintaining a calmness like you don't seem to be like ah you know everything's on fire we need to all have breakdowns <laughs> like no you know we're having and i do wonder if some of your practitioners have come and spoke to you because that sense of calm that you're obviously putting up out there in the world of yeah this is difficult but we need to connect through those conversations and, and i suppose the thing on my mind is um obviously share what you you can and will but what types of, of conversations are you having what are the feelings that practitioners are, are experiencing um a yeah. loaded question i know yeah like i said everything's on fire uh, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean when we so we shut we decided to take um the, the decision to close our nations when we reopened we had um a good week with all of our sites where um, you know socially distanced but we we basically said you know what are your concerns and but even before we even took the decision to open our communication lines were very much open um you know not just with myself but also with um our director um and we listened to what everyone said because you know that's really important you have to understand what the the, the team that are working with the children um every day you have to understand how they're feeling so that we can best support that and to then you know it's all about the emotional environment isn't it if our, if our practitioners are anxious and worried that's just going to impact on the children so yeah that was really important to us so we did um a good week of training prior to opening and then since then it's just very much been you know having those open lines of communication and you know okay the government make different announcements and it's different from local area as well um but it's about how we how we manage that with our teams 
um, and letting them know that it's a safe space. And, you know, all of our managers, you know, have had to have those conversations with um, different practitioners about very different things. Some it was like transport worries or especially in London, our London sites, it's very much like, you know, they're getting a tube, a train, a bus to come to work. And it's about how do we support that? I mean, the first thing that we did as a company was make sure that everyone had two really decent, um, you know, washable face cloths, like high-end ones. So that that was just one thing that we just thought, right, let's do that straight away. Um, and it's just maintaining that. But in terms of like practitioners anxious um, or their worries, it's anything from, you know, getting to work, uh, being around a mixed group of people, socially distancing from their team. Um, we're obviously not socially distancing from the children, but it, it's how do we still maintain those relationships with, you know, as a little community in a nursery when you're doing it from two meters apart. Um, interactions with parents um, and parent and how to do a good, you know, like the handover and things like that at the end of the day, how can that still be the same quality if we're having to do it online and, yeah, it's it's lots of different things, really. I was going to say as well, I think what stands out is, so obviously, um, I work for a university and there's been a lot of consultation with staff on, you know, what will make you feel safe and, and that's been variable. Um, but what you're describing there is, I think, for a practitioner, and I think practitioners often feel voiceless or they feel powerless in, in a lot of situations. A lot of things are done to them. So from managerial point of view, they're often told this is what's happening you've got to get on with it and crack on but from the the kind of framework that you guys seem to have developed it's really around that giving practitioners a voice but then also making them feel heard because i think it's all good saying well we listen to what they've said but then what have you actually done with that information and i what i've noticed is it's sometimes not necessarily wanting a solution from your leader it's wanting to know that they've gone, actually that two hour journey into work or having to go on three modes of transport or having to manage dropping your own children off and then getting into work. Like even just having somebody emotionally connecting over that and going, I feel that that must be difficult. I think does lift the, the lid mm -hmm. of stress a little bit. It kind of makes you go, oh, somebody, somebody understands that this is quite difficult. And I think yeah. sometimes, the error of in leadership is that leaders think that they need to find the solution, but often it's about giving them a space, like you said, a safe space to be heard, to have a voice. And to, I think what often ignites anxiety in people is if they don't feel in control of the situation. Mm. Um, so if you don't feel heard, you don't feel in control. So what you guys have done sounds really, and even that like getting, cause you would be like, oh, my fancy face cloths that I've now got. <laughs> I know those things, can sometimes go down tokenistic avenues but with COVID we need those things they are you know mm. part of our survival so that sounds yeah really it sounds like a, a big warm hug <laughs> that you are providing. yeah I think that's that you know we we have core values as well as a company and I think I think what the plan when the closure and everything happened and obviously we furloughed um most of our employees it's it's kind of like taking that time and me and Kate have spoken about this before about taking a step back and just mm -hmm. taking each day and what can we do today um you know being a bit more calmer and appreciating the small things um but adaptability has to be one of the things as a sector that we focus on moving forward and it's really difficult when you work in issues you know we're open from half seven till half past six in the evening and you know especially at the moment in terms of like staffing that that's been a challenge as well um you know make making sure that we've got enough people to meet ratio then you've got team sickness and then 
you know, with um, self-isolating, it's there's so much things thrown into the mix. And I think one thing that I am really grateful for, and it is with working with Andrew, is that um, we just take each day as it is. And you can't fix everything as a leader. And I think that's one of the hardest things that I've had to learn is, and especially doing the mental health um, first aid course, that taught me a lot. Like, I don't have to fix absolutely everything. Um, and sometimes it's okay if I don't know the answer to something and I just say, you know, can we just take a minute? Um, like, I'll come back to you, but feel free to, you know, carry on saying what you're saying. Um, and that's okay. And I think that's one of the, the things about this year that I've learned, definitely. Sounds really interesting. I, I kind of uh, want to go back to what you were talking about in terms of the core values, because we've kind of said about, you know, we talked about those parent relationships. And I think that if for whatever reason you had really secure um, systems and operations in place and things were running as, as well as they could be, then you were kind of in a better position to hit the ground running. But as you've said, for all sorts of different reasons, there'll be many different circumstances, why that hasn't been the case for some people. And I think core values are such, um, are such a huge part of that. Something I talk a lot about is, you know, why do I work here or encourage managers all early as practitioners to think about why have I chosen to work in this setting? Why do I bring all my knowledge, my skills, my strengths, my experience to this setting? What does this setting offer me? And I see sometimes, I've seen some kind of conversation around, well, they should just be grateful they've got a job at the moment, which is such an unhealthy mindset to have. And actually, it's about that reciprocal relationship between owners, managers, and the whole team. Like, we're here because we're doing this job for the children. We want to work with young people but also that your core values align with one another. And like mm. you just said that, you know, we, we work together because we want to be here. We want to be in this organization. We feel well cared for, respected. We feel well treated. And I think when, when, and those aren't just big fluffy well-being things that sometimes people think well-being is. It's mm. actually the, the fundamental systems we need to have in place to be able to go to work with a happy, healthy team who genuinely care about each other every day. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's mass I'd massively agree to that. I think when I first started having a proper look at it was um, two years ago at um, Laura Henry's annual conference. Um, and I got chatting, I mean, I talk to anyone. I will, I will, I will have a chat with anybody. Um, and actually focusing on what well-being actually means. And then obviously I started following different people. And I think the the one thing that I would say that I do encourage all of my team is um, who you are connecting with. So like on Instagram, Twitter, you know, in early years there was some really good voices that um, you know really promote what what early years should be about. And I share as much as I possibly can. Um, but yeah, actually focusing on well-being and then obviously doing the mental health first aid training. I think that just was another layer. I was like, okay, so I thought I was doing a really good, you know, job of doing this. And I did that that training and I was like, okay, taking another step back, um, having another look at what we can do to support. Um, and I think it is that knowledge is definitely key and providing like a space where, you know, a relaxing space where your team members can, you know, sit and have a chat with each other, have a cup of tea, you know, all right, I might have like different books and things like that to, to, if they want to. But I think it is, it's about the time um, and, and the spaces that we are creating for people. Yeah, absolutely. I, 
um, can remember delivering some training with a group of managers and leaders and like one of them was saying you know I just don't get a minute like my the door there, there's always someone knocking on the door I don't even get to have my lunch break in peace like I just I feel like I'm giving and giving and giving to my team and I feel like it's never good enough and I'm just so exhausted with it and it got to the point where you know she was just starting to think quite negatively about people that this particular lady about people that she was working with. And I was kind of like, okay, let's take it back. Like you just said, let's take a step back. Where are you having your lunch break? Oh, she's like, well, it's not even really a lunch break. I'm sitting at my office desk. I'm eating my sandwich. And I said, so you're still available. Your team still think you're accessible because you mm. haven't put those boundaries in place. So it's, it's unfortunately, you'll want to do your job well to the best of your ability and always be accessible. But because you're doing that, when do staff know when to come and knock on the door and when not to? Because if there's no, you know, specific time that you're having a lunch break, and not only that, if you are fortunate to have, because not every setting does, a space where you can go and have a lunch break, I don't mean every single day, but once or twice a week as a manager, are you going in and having a lunch break and sitting with your team? Because we all know when we've worked with children, sometimes it can be the middle of the week, can't it? Before you've even found out what people did at the weekend. Like how many times do you try and start a conversation with someone you work with and it gets interrupted, the phone rings, a parent comes, or, you know, we get on with the job. We don't have time for these kind of personal conversations. So in some ways, it's nice for you as a manager to make sure you're taking that break, but also to, like you said, creating those spaces where I can have informal conversations. So my staff feel like we've spoken to one another. They know stuff that's going on with me. I know stuff that's going on with them. And they don't feel like they need to always knock the door so mm. that then I'm putting some kind of boundary in place, really. Because um, <clears throat> it's all these little things that add up, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, boundaries as a whole is um, one one thing that I do really support my managers with. And because people come to you from different um, experiences as well. So I think sometimes it's a bit like, oh, we can, we can say no, that we're not available right now to have a meeting. Um, we always say, you know, obviously knocking on the, the door for the, the meeting rooms if, if people want to come in. We, we do promote a culture of the door is always open and we do that with our parents as well but there are times in the day where you can't you know you can't answer every little thing and sometimes sometimes I say to um, the team you know is it really urgent you know do you really need an answer because if they do then that's fine um but some things you know they wait until like four o'clock and we have morning huddles and afternoon huddles so that our heads of room can then come and have a little bit of a you know even if just a five minute catch up in the morning with the manager so all the heads of room we have a bit of a chat about the day. We have a very clear communication sheet, which is then um, pinned up in the team room. Um, everyone knows when their lunch breaks are that day. I think I think communication has to be key. Um, and especially navigating through this new world that we live in, um, that just that just shows to me like how it, you can't um, fault on it. You've got to really provide a culture of open, clear communication uh, right from the bottom. <clears throat> And it does start with the basics, doesn't it, of like even just you saying that about knowing what time your lunch break is and kind of almost was catapulted back to being a practitioner and feeling that panic in the morning of 
am I going to get an early lunch or a late lunch? Well, if I get an early lunch, then I've got to wait. Because I used to, you know, if you're on like the midday lunch and you're like, but then I come back at one and I've got longer hours with that. And you're like, oh! And actually, just if you know that beforehand, you're like, okay, well, these are the things I can put in place when I know the afternoon's going to feel longer and I'm going to start clock watching because the hours that practitioners work are, they're, they're intensive. They're, they're very mm. kind of intensive physically and emotionally and mentally but I think some of the things that you've just talked about there as well around as a leader having those boundaries actually that those protect yourself and they protect your practitioners as well mm. and then having systems in place like the huddle is such a good idea like having a huddle where you can all get together yeah. um, I, huddle, I mean I, I mean I'm just wondering how I can can organize huddles with people beans as I just work by myself at home. <laughs> start, like just emailing to on a huddle like you know and organize a few huddles with different people what is the new cuddle we can't yeah. <laughs> I love it I love that idea but it, it is I, I also think I can remember being um you know be obviously being younger of course I can remember that but I can remember just sometimes wanting a bit like I've also got a memory of being a child and like just wanting my mom's attention a little bit, like trying to think of things I could like tell her. And sometimes as practitioners, you know, you do want to, um, you know, share stuff that you've done with, you know, an area manager that comes in once a month. You want them to know this special display you've done or this awesome conversation you've had with, I don't know, um, one of the parents or, you know, you do want people that you work with to notice you. And it's a bit like me, me, me. And actually it's, it's like parenting, isn't it? When you're, when you're leading a large team like that. And so I think going back to what you're saying earlier about, and Kerry and I have spoken about this a lot is somehow, I think, especially in earlier, earlier, we've cultivated this space where we can't be wrong. There's no room for error. We always got to have an answer as a manager and or whatever role that we're doing. And so this kind of, if someone says, oh, this isn't quite right, or maybe you didn't didn't do this in the way that I was expecting, it feels like you've been stabbed in the heart. It's like, oh, I can't take that. And actually, I think it's about just, like, I don't have all the answers. Um, no one, you know, none of us have all the answers. A, a safe, a space where we can show up and be like, yeah, I got it wrong and that's okay. And I'm not mm. talking about statutory requirements where I got it wrong and I went home and there was children sitting in the building. I'm not trying to belittle the responsibility. No. But just, you know, we, we're just human. And especially at the moment, we've been through the ringer this year, haven't we? So, yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, it's just a basic, like, compassion. And I think sometimes, you know, I've had conversations with um, practitioners. And at the moment with our new build, I'm, I'm there a lot more just to provide, like, support and training and things. And, you know, a lot of them have said that they've not worked for a company where they feel Com like comfortable enough to have a conversation with the senior manager or even like the director and and to us that baffles us like I think it's just so rooted in what we are about anyway as people it does it does really baffle us um you know what well, we we opened our new build we did three weeks of training with the whole team before we even had any children in the building but that's really important to us and um I think it is you know like Vanessa always says um your vibe attracts a tribe and I think yeah. that's really, really important because, you know, we know what we're all about and, you know, we're not the right fit for everybody. Um, we're definitely a bit different, um, but it's about being clear about your expectations and, you know, like you said, boundaries fall into that, communication, everything. <clears throat> you spoke there about um, basic compassion, which I think 
everybody needs basic compassion but I'm interested from a leader's perspective and and obviously I know everybody's different but when you are in such an influential and like highly accountable role how do you deal with those experiences of compassion fatigue because we can all give a lot to others and we can hear a lot and we can listen so how do you how do you manage your own and, and i know it sounds quite harsh to call it compassion fatigue but it does tire you out when you're like that's the 10th practitioner that i've had to listen about their you know experiences mm. and issues what's your what's your approach on that how do you deal with that um, I mean, it's not easy. It's definitely something I've had to learn and develop. Um, again, it's, it's, it, for me, it was a, a turning point with different people that I connect with. So, you know, um, being able to say no, that was really difficult for me to start with. Um, doing different sorts of training where uh, you, you talk about, um, I've always kind of like, and I'm kind of waffling a bit, but when we did like the mental health training and you talk about your stress container, because I've always thought, like, how can I, how can I go through an experience exactly the same as someone else, and they might, to me, it looks like they fall apart, and I'm, I'm not actually that affected. Um, and actually having that understanding about why that is, um, that really starts it, really. And I just know, you know, when I've had a really rough week, it's about um, being able to say. So I will, I will say to the senior team, like, you know, I need, I need a day. Like, I just, I need to turn off. I, I can't um, take any more on um I used to really struggle with it it's definitely something I've had to learn I always wanted to be like I can go 110 miles an hour all the time but you just can't it and it, it is a hard skill to learn if you're not good at it um you know I've met people that are really good at that and they'll just say actually I can't take that on right now and well I'll come back to you on it um but yeah it's, it's a learnt behavior for me <laughs> yeah I think it is for a lot of people and it's almost somebody said something to me the other day like if you give too much of yourself, you can't give much to anyone. And it was mm. that because I, and, and I know Kate is probably very similar, we're kind of obsessive people pleasers. And so the, the word no, like for ages I was speaking to Kate saying the word no isn't in my vocabulary. People will ask me to do things constantly. And I'm like, yep, 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 yep. Because I'm like, I don't want to get on the wrong side or I want to be seen to be available or have basic compassion and want to hear people. And particularly in the job that I do with, with older students, it was like, I'm no use to them because now when they tell me these things that are happening, I've, I've, I've stopped caring because I've ran out of compassion. I'm like, I've heard it a hundred mm. times and I've not set that boundary. But I think the, the key thing that you've said there is it, it's often that we assume that we have those boundaries, but it's a learned, it's a learned thing. You have to learn to go, I need to look after myself in order to be able to look after others, particularly in those, those influential roles um that we yeah and i mean i'm really honest as well you know um just thinking back in june when we had our new team join us and one of the one of the sessions that i do and i said to them you know you i, I understand that people might want to come and speak to a manager and you will come and speak to me and you'll think you're the first person that spoke to me that day so but what you don't know is that sally came and spoke to me an hour before and john came down and um and he offloaded on things like that and i just made them a bit aware about what managers what the role of a manager is like um and and that that really helps like with people's awareness and like i said you know we create pockets of time in the day every morning and every afternoon that um at least the heads of room can come and speak to the managers um, and then for our managers we also make sure that they they have that time as well like with myself or or with um anyone in the senior leadership team that that, that they can offload as well so yeah it definitely goes both ways um 
and it's definitely something I work on all the time. <laughs> what an amazing point to say that because I've never thought of saying that to somebody like you if you think about it in terms of you're not the first person to come to me that day or even you're not the first person to bring that type of issue so if you imagine you're hearing that on rinse and repeat it does make it really hard and giving somebody that insight because they will be experiencing that in their own way as well so it, it, again it comes back to that empathy doesn't it and that domino effect of, of connecting through those shared experiences of yeah being worn out and I think we all feel way more worn out with the the pandemic the ever ending lockdowns and and yeah that's really really interesting so like you've given me ideas for my job <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it, it goes back to almost that but it's the role model as a manager and a leader I think you have to you have to and I think not everyone has yet um because not everyone fully understands well-being people still I still see posts from people especially on Facebook saying what can we do to support staff well-being I've got a well-being basket I've got this and that and you know people tend to comment now um, and they'll say well it is more about your processes you proceed it's all about every like as we've already discussed but I think if you have that core understanding of well-being and actually how you're having to take care of your own mental and physical health in your role as a manager then it develops you know um, it develops that ability to like you've just said put those boundaries in place but also make the team know you're not invincible because somewhere along the line we as managers and I'm saying we when I was a manager I, I, I felt like I always had to be okay always had to be invincible like Kerry just said I would never say no our door is always open I'm always here for you but I know I struggled with who do I get to go and talk to because I didn't want to put on my team and it was that real fine balance and so it's really mm. just we human to we're not saying don't come and talk to us we're not saying you know we're not interested but also we're human like we're not machines and I think that real developing like almost like it sounds like I don't want to be a bit of a an x-factor cheesy moment I'm not <laughs> say the jingle again but it's a bit like you, that, that own kind of learning journey around your own well-being actually that the impact of that mental health first aid and I wish you'd done it with me but you didn't so in case you know <laughs> I mentioning it so much it's actually just a fabulous course it's not because I'm um, um so I just wanted to point that out too but all these things make a difference don't they yeah of course they do you know the, the one thing that I would definitely say that gets me through because my job role is really unique and uh, you know managing a site um, is very different to like them being an operational manager and I think less people talk about kind of it's very stressful being a manager I think when when you're a senior manager and you're having to deal with all different sites and pockets of things and you know you're dipping in there you're dipping in there and things like that the thing that's got me through the last two years is having that wider connection of colleagues and that support and you know I've I had I do truly have some really good connections in early years and that does get me through some really tough weeks I mean I put a post out last week and you messaged me like are you okay I was like yep <laughs> it's Tuesday and um, you know I probably dealt with like 50 things by nine o'clock in the morning and it is exhausting sometimes um but yeah definitely working on promoting that culture of being honest you know I, I find it really difficult to say uh, to anyone that I'm struggling I do it's just something even in normal personal life like I wouldn't be the first person to be like I am actually struggling um and building relationships with managers where they understand you know I've just had a lovely conversation with one of my managers this morning and um she was like no I know I know I know how busy you are it's okay you can come back to me on this it's not urgent you know and it's that respect and um understanding I guess 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, this, again, might be a loaded question and you might not be able to answer it, but obviously we talked about core principles and the culture that you've developed, but what we know is that for a lot of practitioners, they're not necessarily in receipt of that type of leadership style. Um, is there any advice that you could give to a practitioner who, well, almost, is there any advice you could give to a practitioner who wants to approach a leader who isn't necessarily approachable? And is there any advice that you could give to a leader that's struggling with that basic compassion bit of a load of questions but you know it's mental yeah. health awareness week let's you know go in because um, one of the things is somebody might be listening to this and go on well if only i had that type of leadership structure but i know um some of the managers that i've had in the past i would not have had any courage to go and share needing help yeah do you know what with that i think for me as well, um, working with teams of people that have never had that, that is, it's hard for them to understand that they, there's, you know, there's, I, w I had to go for a meeting last week at one of our sites and they thought they were getting in trouble, this person. And I was like, no, no, no I'm just touching base. Like, is everything okay? Um, and I, fe I feel bad that they felt like that, that they felt that because I wanted to have a meeting with them, um, that they were going to somehow get in trouble. And I was like, no, 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 it's just a, you know, a welfare <laughs> just checking in with you. Um, I think it's difficult. Like I said, I, I've worked in some um, unsupportive environments um, and I've worked in some unsupportive environments abroad and, you know, I'm in a foreign country and I'm like, oh my God, this isn't going great. And I'm um, mm -hmm. trying to have a conversation with someone that isn't, you know, getting it. Um, it's difficult. I think for me, um, because I, I, I know what my core values are, um, and if I was working in a place that wasn't supporting me like that and it was stifling me, uh, my growth and my well-being, then I probably would take the decision to move on to somewhere else. Mm. Um, but, you know, just drop in, drop in an email like, oh, um, you know, you brought this up. At the if you didn't want to say it in front of everybody else, you know, like at a team meeting or something, mm. uh, drop in an email afterwards. Oh, that, that um, I just had a comment on this. Would you like, can we schedule some time to discuss it? Um I would start it like that, really. I think it's difficult the other way around if there is a manager that, um, you know, if, if it's someone's, like, leadership ability. But like I said, you're going to get that in all different... Well, I was definitely that person as well. I was, a, I was not a very good manager at all. had no basic compassion, really, because I, I kind of... It, it, the job looks easier than it is, I think, is the reality of a nursery manager. But... Um, I was the reason I was on my iPad earlier on I was to look really rude but I um, read an amazing book and I don't know if either of you have read it yet um, and it is called Making a Difference with Children and Families Reimagining the Role of the Practitioner um, and it goes through so it's got like the practitioner as an advocate the practitioner as emotionally intelligent the practitioner as playful um, with children and it is a phenomenal book for leaders and practitioners because it talks about some of those things that you can do to really develop connection between the the kind of leadership structure and the way the practitioner um, behaves acts and and how they develop those core principles um, and i think some of the things that you've just said there is you know i think we are predispositions that when you hear a manager or a leader say i need a meeting you do you think shit i'm in trouble we've done something wrong she's coming for us or he's coming for us um, and I think sometimes from a leadership point of view, it's about, because I think sometimes you do have to actually physically set aside time to provide positive feedback. I'm going to go in, 
and I'm only going to say what they're doing well because I need to empower and lift them up. Um, and so they, 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 you're almost like retraining their brain into it. Not everything is a threat from a leader. Not everything is a, you know, a call out or a, you know, pull down. So I think that, you know, the fact that you're like, actually, I'm just coming in for a welfare, checking in with you, making sure you're all right. Is, it mm. just goes so far, doesn't it? And then for a practitioner, if they don't feel confident to speak, in person or in a team meeting, actually dropping in an email and developing, because we're, and again, we're a technological world, aren't we? So developing, mm. I've heard of this term now, netiquette. So how we behave online and how we can actually communicate emotionally online. Cause that's been yeah. a whole, like that's been so difficult as well, trying to communicate mm. um, virtually and trying to be polite and emotionally in tune virtually as well. Mm. So yeah, I think that's really handy, some handy ideas that have come up from what you've said. Yeah, I think it's all, it's about knowing your team, isn't it, at the end of the day, because everyone communicates differently. I mean, all my team will tell you, I am someone that prefers a conversation. So, mm. but I work with people that would solely prefer to do with email. I'm talking like internally, like, you know, finance managers and marketing and things like that. They don't have time to have a conversation, but I'm such a talker that that's something that I have to really, you know, be like okay, an email is fine. And I, I have to learn that, but it is knowing your team, you know, we've got, you've got varying people from like apprentices right through to people that are degree qualified and all different walks of life and experience. And everyone communicates in a very different way. And, you know, I've always been really confident. I can stand up in a room and talk about anything, but you have to sort of understand that the 17 year old apprentice whose first job it is, is not going to be that type of person. So it is making time for everybody mm. and communicating in different ways. Yeah, and we've spoken about this before, you know, we, we um, expect ourselves from other people. And if you're, you know, the role that you're doing now, as you just said, if you're expecting the same, you know, things from your 17 year old apprentice, then there's something wrong there, because then they're not going, you know, it's about meeting them where they are right now. And I think, you know, as we talked about at the start of the, the podcast around being self aware and having that awareness as a manager, I think like going back to what, you know, Kerry kind of just asked that question, you know, if you're listening to this, and you're, you've got management or leadership, you know, responsibilities, it's, you know, are you able to have those tough conversations with people? How have you created those spaces for practitioners to be able to talk to you if they're not talking to you um whether it's through appraisals or supervisions or you know if they if you don't feel like it's that reciprocal process where you can have those open and honest conversations then what can you do differently because they will have stuff they want to say to you how can you kind of cultivate those spaces to make sure that they feel comfortable to to show up and ask those questions but Mm. i mean it's been absolutely Fabulous kind of chatting with you. And I think we could kind of chat all day. Um, <laughs> we'll have to um, maybe get you back again in the future. Um, one of the things that we're going to be doing with this series of podcasts is kind of, and Kerry's already um, given a book recommendation there, but like we finish with any, um, any, any kind of top tips or anything you've read or listened to recently that you would recommend to anyone. Um, and um, I just wanted to point out to people, my kind of recommendation based on, um, what we've talked about today was I listened to um, the Brené Brown podcast way back in lockdown with Dr. Mark Brackett and it was called Permission to Feel and it was based around that book from Dr. Mark Brackett which is uh, you know Permission to Feel um, Unlocking um, Emotions and it's for children and for adults but all of those things really led into this mindset around emotional, emotionally intelligent leadership which I think listeners of this podcast in particular might find interesting so that's my 
my kind of top tip and thing that I think someone would find interesting. Hannah, have you got anything that you would add there? Um, I would just say for me, especially in a leader, I know you don't always have loads of time, but I would say it is the people that you connect with. And um, in terms of mental health and well-being, I would definitely recommend becoming or having someone in your company a mental health first aid lead. Um, I think it's completely changed how we approach a lot of things. Um, and obviously, I know you've run that course, so that would be my recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Hannah. That's fab. Any any uh, thoughts or feelings from you, Kerry, there as we um, finish our... Um, well, just obviously my inspirations from um, Hannah. I think, yeah, the hubble is the new cuddle. I just think... <laughs> sure that you are connecting with your team and giving them and again I'm thinking about myself as a practitioner I know that I would go to the office door because I was seeking validation or connection and skiving um, as we all like to do but it was actually recognizing that staff do need those points during the day to have a moment to go oh look what I'm up to so really connecting and, and I think what you've said there Hannah around conversation and then the, the thing around basic compassion, I think that's really actually just caring for your team and, and caring enough to ask in and see how they are um, and to hear them, to actually hear them. So, yeah, that, that, there was some really inspiring stuff in there for me, Hannah. So thank you very much for, um, yeah, helping. You'll help me with my job. I've got to go back to uni next week with a load of students. So, yeah, <laughs> finding some basic compassion from somewhere for that. Yeah. Oh, thanks. And I think I would just add in there, if you maybe, uh, you know, if you are a manager who's listening, thinking, actually, I think I'm doing these things really well, but actually I haven't got that connection. It, it's then flipping what Hannah said round and then seeking out that connection. So, you know, we've talked about, you know, we've established our relationship kind of just online, really. Mm. Have you got supportive people around you that understand your job role that you can connect to, you that can support you, if that's something that you feel like you, you don't have? So, yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Hannah. It's been really fabulous to chat with you today. Thank you for taking the time. And if people want to follow you, they can find you on Instagram. Remind everyone of your Instagram. Uh, yeah, it's Radio Inspired Play. That's my Instagram handle. I'm also on Twitter as well, but I think it's just Hannah Little on there. That's wonderful. So it's great to be able to connect with one another and um, support one another as we continue on through this time. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Hannah. Thank you. <laughs>